Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I think we need to do a little better. Good morning. There we go. That's better. Hey, can you turn the lights down a little bit? I'd like to be able to see the people. I'm getting blinded up here. I like to know I'm talking to somebody else, not just myself here. It's great to be here with you guys this morning here in the church. You guys are the church. This is our building that we come to worship in. And today we're coming to gather, to gather today as the church body to come and to worship our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Around the world, people are going to be gathering together in similar circumstances. Some are going to be just gathering together outside. Some are going to be gathering together in other buildings. Some are grass huts. Some all sorts all over the world. People, our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to be gathering as the church, as the body of Christ. That's what's happening here today. That's what we're doing here today. And today we, we want to take a look at Mark chapter 3, looking at, sorry, at verse 13 going to 35. Um, and notice Caleb kind of talked about chapter, verses 13 and following a little bit last time. I razzed a little bit about that. So if my message is a little long today, you know who to blame. Just saying. So. One of the, the things that we look at as the church, when did the church start? And we often think that the church started, and I think rightly so, at the time of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the disciples, and off they go, and they preach the Word of God mightily to the crowd. But to have that happen, Jesus had to lay a foundation for that to happen. And in verses 13 and following, Jesus starts laying that foundation. And let's get into that, and let's read his word here. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, and they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to him he gave the name you can figure that one out, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I just want to stop here for a second. Now, let's set the scene a little bit here. It's always important to set what's going on. What is happening here? Well, Jesus is already preaching. He's talking to people about God. He's talking to people about who he is, what the kingdom of God is. He's talking about all about that, and he's healing people. He's casting out demons. That's what he's doing, and people are seeing there's something weird going on here. They've heard rabbis before. There's something different about Jesus, very different about him. He's just not preaching the word. He's not just teaching. He has authority. And look what he's doing. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. And so he's gathering a massive amount of followers. And one day he decides he's going to go up on the mountainside. And he, all of them come with, I don't know how many there were. There's a lot of them. How many? I don't really know. And he calls 12 of them to be apostles. 
as leadership of the church. Now, what happens with them? What, what's going to happen here? As these men are going to be with Jesus basically 24-7, they're always going to be around him. He's going to give them private teaching. He's going to help them. He's going to teach them. He's going to feed. He's going to pour himself into these men. Because he knows these men, most of them, one of them won't, but the other 11 are going to be the leadership of the church, is going to, where the church is going to depend on for it to grow because that's who Jesus has chosen to lead it. Now, Jesus, being fully God, had the power to do it all by himself. He could have done that. But he's also fully man, and he knows he has limitations. So what does he do? He brings these 12 men around him so that he could specially train them and teach them. And this is really the foundation starting of what the church is like today. What do we have? We have pastors here that we have chosen as a congregation that lead us. We have elders that we have chosen as a congregation who lead us, who deal with very difficult issues. This is this, what we do now. It happens all over the world. This is this, what Jesus has set up here is a template for how the church is. But see, Jesus just doesn't give the apostles, bring the apostles in, and, and he wants to send them out to preach. You know what, really what preaching is all about? You know what preaching is? Like what I'm doing is, we call it preaching, right? But what really what preaching is, is telling people about God. Your story you have a unique story, and preaching is really teaching, telling people about your particular story, about who Jesus Christ is, what he did for you. That's what it is. That's all it is. You know, we get so hung up on these words about preaching. Well, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher like I'm doing. But each one of us has a story. Each one of us can tell people what Jesus has done for them. As I used to be a pastor, and I would often hear from people who would come to young people who are going to give their testimonies, and they would ask, how do I you know, talk to people about Christ? Well, just tell them what Jesus has done for you. And they say, but, but Jesus, it's so boring. My life is so boring. I, wrote, I was raised in a Christian home. I have Christian parents. I came to Christ at an early age, and... And I've never looked back. It's been wonderful, but I don't have an exciting story. And I, I tell them what I'm going to tell you. I have a friend of mine when I was in Bible college. His name was Dave. Dave and I hit it off. He's not the typical Bible student person, but then again, neither was I. Dave had long hair, had earrings, had tattoos. Dave used to be a motorcycle gang enforcer up in Saskatoon. You know what a motorcycle gang enforcer does? He breaks things like legs and arms, and he beats people up. That's what he does. That's what his job was in the gang. So he's a tough guy. And he told me a lot of his story. And you know, one day we're sitting in a gas station with the restaurant that's in there, and we're talking about different things, and he's telling me all about his life story, and then he just stops mid-sentence, and he looks at me, and he says, you know, Eric, if they knew what, if my gang knew what I was telling you, they'd kill you. I looked at him and said, yeah, I kind of figured, but and we just kept going. 
But Dave would love to have a boring story. Because Dave was into drugs, into alcohol. His lifestyle was horrible. He would love to have a boring story. So be proud of your boring story. And it's not boring because God is working in you. So, preaching. He sends the apostle to preach. But he doesn't send the apostle just to preach, does he? He also gives them authority. What is the authority to do? To drive out demons. That's the authority he gives them. So we have power. The church is imbued with power through the Holy Spirit of God. You know, we walk around in our society today. How many times have you looked at what's going on in our society and go, oh, what's going on? This is ridiculous. This is crazy. And we just throw our heads up in the air and give up. Why? We're the church. We have power. And as we're going to see as we keep going, we have power stronger than he was in this world. Each one of us has the Holy Spirit of God within us, who all of us know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and accepted him as such. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and we have the same power that Jesus gave the disciples. We have that. The church, we need to wake up as the church and realize we are powerful and we have a say and we're going to say. So this is the start of the church. And then Jesus, and then as we keep reading through the scriptures starting in verse 20 here, we start reading into some opposition Jesus is starting to get. There's going to be opposition so it, this is not a mistake that, you know, he calls the 12, and then he starts talking about what's going on here, about the opposition he's going to get. He, first of all, he gets opposition from his mother and his brother. Then he gets opposition from the teachers of the law. See, we're going to have opposition. As a church, we are called to be different than the society we're in. We're called to be a holy people, a priesthood. Every single one of us. You know, the greatest compliment I get is that you're weird. I love being called weird because they know there's something different about me. They know I'm doing something different. I love that. When I don't get called that after a while, I kind of go, okay, what am I not doing right? There's something happening here. I need to, something's going on. But I love being called weird because people say, there's something different about you. And see, that was what's happening with Jesus. There's something different about him. There is power in his words. There is authority. And because he has power and authority and it's new, there's opposition to him. We are going to have opposition as well. And I believe what we're talking, what goes here uh, about Jesus' mother and brothers and then the teacher of the law, what, if you notice, and if you read through the scripture be, uh, beforehand, you'll notice that in verse 20 it talks about Jesus' Mother and brothers come together in verse 21. And then they stop, and at verse 22, it goes into the teachers of the law, and then when you get down to verse 31, it, the mother and brothers are back. It's kind of weird, isn't it? it well, it's a kind of a literary tool that they use, and what they're trying to say is these things are connected. The same thing's happening here. Differently, but the same thing. 
And that same thing is to stop Jesus' ministry. That's what it's all about, is to stop him. So let's get into these verses here. Let's get into verse 20. Then Jesus entered the house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he said, so that he and his disciples were not, given, were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. They looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus is out doing the will of God. And now he's getting opposition. And he's getting opposition from a very unlikely source. Mary, his mother. She's got visited by Gabriel. She got visited by the angels. She knows this is going to be different. She's had all these things said over Jesus, what's going to happen with him and stuff of that nature, all these prophecies and all the rest of it. She knows there's something different about her son. Very different. But she comes to take care of him. See, what, what they're doing, what the family's doing, is they're really worried about Jesus. They're really worried about him. See, he, he can't even eat. Now think about that back then. Eating wasn't, oh, let's see what we got in the freezer. We pull it out, throw it in the microwave. And 10 minutes later, we have something to eat. That's not what happens back then. You got hours of preparing food. It was a social event. It was a time to relax. It was a time to have friends around and family around and to talk and to gather your strength and to eat and to replenish yourself. That was all about. So his family's really worried about him. And the text here doesn't really give it justice. The English translation doesn't give it justice when it says he, he's, when they say he's tamed to take charge of him in verse 21. It's those words like arrest him, take him into custody is what they're going to do. Forcefully, if necessary, is what really is going on here, is what's happening in this section. That's, what, that's what's going on. They're really concerned about him, and they're really trying to stop what he's doing. How do, so how does that relate to us today? Well, in the church, we have people who want to do different things, who want to reach out to God in different ways. We have a, one of our elders who has a cross. He carries that cross. That is very different. 
but it has a massive impact. But think about that. Would you do that? I wouldn't. That's not me. That's him, which is great. God called him to do that ministry. That's wonderful. But what would have happened if we would have come up to him and said, you know, I don't really think this is a good thing for you. This is going to be really difficult for you. You shouldn't really do that. Because we've never done it before. That's going to be look weird. It's going to be strange. People may think we're stu- we're, we're something wrong with us. Well, there is. We're Christians. Of course there's something wrong with us. We're not of this world. We don't think like this world. We don't act like this world. We don't behave like this world. We're supposed to behave like Christians. Different. Not with weakness, but with power. See, that would be like Mary's, Mary and his brothers coming to Jesus and say, we're really concerned about you. We need to, you need to come with us. You need to stop what's going on. If you would have listened to us, that's kind of what that would have been like. So what ministry are you thinking of that you want to do, that you want to get out there and do? So we have to be very careful. See, Jesus has an advantage over us. And that advantage is, well, he's God. And anything he does and everything he says is right. We're not God. I have my own biases. I have the things I say and I do that aren't necessarily right all the time. So we always got to make sure that anything we do or say matches with the Scriptures. It has to go along with what the Bible says. And at the very least, doesn't go against it. There is a ministry I heard about quite a number of years ago. And the ministry was called Hooking for Jesus, believe it or not. And it is exactly what it sounds like, by the way. That's what they were doing. They, this, group of, this group of Christians were, in, were encouraging young men and women to go out, have relations with other people, and by that way, bring them into Christ. No, you don't do that. That goes against Scripture. Sex is for marriage. That's what it's supposed to be for. It's, supposed to be a, it's not supposed to be used as a tool to get people to Christ. It's supposed to be used as something intimate and very tender towards a man and woman when they're married. That's what it's supposed to be about. Not an evangelistic tool. So you've got to be very careful what we're doing. Does it match with Scripture? Does it go along with Scripture? You know, I, going back to my friend Dave. You know, I... I one day I was, uh, I, was we're coming, I was coming back from class. I was going back to our, our trailer. I was, we were in the married uh, students' quarters over with the trailer court in, out in Briarcrest. And I'm walking back, and I see Dave ahead of me. So I kind of zip up a little bit. And, but he look, he's looking really sad. He's looking really upset. And I, go, I come up side beside him and say, hey, what's going on, man? And he, he just doesn't say much for a little bit. And I go, okay, hey, you're really upset. What's the matter? And then he goes off to say, you know, some 18-year-old young man told him that if he was wanting to be a true Christian, he better get rid of his tattoos. That would make him a true Christian. And he better cut his hair, too, by the way. Like, he had hair down here. Like, you know, the guy who was playing the, the guitar back there, he, has, he had longer hair, but not much. You know, he was really upset about that because he's a new Christian. This guy hasn't, isn't even five years old in the Lord yet. He's really new. So I come up beside him and we start talking about stuff. He says, yeah, but Dave, where are you wanting to go back? Where do you want to go? You want to go to the church? Where do you want to go? He says, I want to go back to the bars. I want to go back to the gangs. I want to go talk to them. 
I want to tell them the good news about Jesus. Okay. I said, great. Then getting rid of your tattoos is probably not a good thing then. Yeah, probably not, because he's going to fit right in. I said, what would I went into those same bars? What would happen to me? He said, well, you'd be dead in five minutes. I said, yeah, I kind of figured. <laughs> You're not going to be. Why? Because God is placing you uniquely in this role so that you can go reach out. And what all they wanted to do was preach the word, which is tell them about what Jesus has done for him. That's all it is. But when we want to do something for God, sometimes we get opposition, and sometimes that opposition is from within the church. Do we need to listen to it? Yes, we do. But we have to make sure that what we're doing is goes along with Scripture. And if it does, go for it. It doesn't matter if we've never done it before. It's okay. I don't know how many times when I brought when I was in, as a pastor in churches bringing up different ideas, what to do this, so you could try this and stuff like that. Like in one of the churches I was at, we had a rodeo that came into town every year. And we had a, uh, and there was always the, um, every Sunday they had the, the cowboy church thing that was happening there and stuff like that. And I, I thought, wait, this would be a good thing. Why don't we, as they're evangelical, I read all about them, they're really good evangelical groups. So why don't we just go and join them on a Sunday morning? Why don't we just close down church and go and we'll join them and we'll have a great time of worship and, and we could talk to people about Christ and stuff like that because there's going to be more people around there. And the answer I got from my leadership was, well, you know, we've never done that before. I said, yeah, but it'd be a great opportunity for people to get to know who we are and what church we're from and all the rest of it, to reach out to the community. And the answer I got was, well, Eric, if you really want to do that, you go right ahead and do that. Opposition. And there's a different type of opposition that comes our way too. Teachers of the law. See, now let's think about teachers of the law for a second. Who is a teacher of the law? Sir, if you're a teacher of the law, you would know the law inside and out. You'd be able to tell me verses in Scripture. Every time I'd be able to start a verse, you'd be able to finish it for me. You'd know every single bit of that law, and you'd do it. Not just know it, but you'd do it. Every little bit, everything that is required of you, you would do. And that makes you a holy man, a righteous man, as far as they're concerned. So the teachers of the law are these righteous individuals that follow every aspect of the law. And they're seeing this other man come along who, as far as they're concerned, isn't righteous, but he's casting out demons. He's healing people. And people are starting to follow him. And they're going, well, if anybody can cast out demons, it should be me because I'm a righteous man. I'm a teacher of the law. I follow every aspect of the law. It should be me. And it's not them. It's this other man who's not a teacher of the law, who, as far as they can tell, doesn't follow every little bit of it. And so what they're saying is, oh, if I can't, and I'm a righteous man of God, and he is, so his power must be becoming from Satan himself, by, from Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies. That's what they think. And so Jesus takes them aside and says, hey, hang on a sec. And he, gives, he starts talking to him in parables. In parables, mind the way, he starts off with parables that they know about. He says, if a kingdom is divided, can it stand? Well, no, it can't. 
If a country is divided, can it stand? No, it can't. We know that for a fact. We don't have to think about it very long. We know it's true. Because if a house is divided, it will fall. We all know that. We've seen that. It's all part of our, you know, we, we know people whose houses have crumbled and split. We know this is true. And then he goes on to the spiritual. So, well, if Satan is against Satan, then Satan's time has come. He's done. He's finished if Satan is fighting against Satan. And then he goes on to tell this parable about the strong man. He says, first you must tie up the strong man before you can rob his house. Who's the strong man? Anybody? Who's the strong man? Do you know? The strong man is Satan. His house is this world. His possessions are the people he has possessed and is under his control. That is his possessions. So Jesus is saying he is stronger than Satan. Because he's the one who ties the strong man. And then he can steal, he can liberate, he can take from Satan his possessions, which are the demon-possessed. Think about this. You're one of the disciples and you're, or the apostles and you're listening to this. And he's just given you authority to drive out demons. And he just tells, tells each of the law that he is stronger than Satan. That's why he can do this type of stuff. What type of encouragement do you think that would give them to go out and actually do the work? I think it would really encourage them, wouldn't you? Well, we're apostles. We're we're not apostles, we're disciples. We're, we're part of the family of God. And we have the Holy Spirit within us. And we have that same power. See, we walk around a lot of times as the church is being defeated. There's no reason to be. This world that we're in needs us. Needs us to be different and needs us to be speaking out more now than ever. We as the church have the power to do so. We are not weak. Are we going to get opposition? You betcha we're going to get opposition. We're going to get it from within, because let's just all be nice and quiet. Let's keep it all quiet. We're going to get opposition from without, saying, you guys are just nuts. It's from Satan you're doing this. In our day and age, we just call each other, we just call them religious nuts. That's you and me. We're going to have opposition. Jesus didn't listen to it. Why should we? Jesus doesn't go with his mom and his brothers. Jesus corrects the teachers of the law. And he actually gives them a warning too, and I want to get into that. In his thing, he says, there's only, he talks about the unforgivable sin blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Now, that's another part of this particular part of Scripture that the English really doesn't uh, translate well here. Uh, when you go back into some of the original texts and stuff like that, what that, this whole section is, it's really talking about uh, a continual attitude of rejecting Christ, a continual attitude of continually rejecting, 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 rejecting Christ until death. Like, you know, you die... And, you, and you're there, and you know, oh, there really is a heaven, and there really is a hell. Okay, I'm going to pick heaven. It doesn't work that way. 
You'd pick it now. You pick, make your choice now. And making no choice is making a choice. You must choose God. So that's what that whole thing is all about. That unforgivable sin is not a one-time event. It's a continual, continual rejection of Jesus and of God. That's what that's all about. And Jesus ends off this section of scripture and his parent, mom calls him, brothers want him and he sits there, he's in this room and he sees all these people around him. I see all my people around me and I say, who are my brothers, my sisters and my mother? Jesus says, all those who follow the will of God, that's who they are. He looks all at the people around him and says, you are my brother. You are my sister. You are my mother. So are we going to be people who follow and do the will of God that God has called us to do? Or are we going to allow the people around us who say, hey, you know, we've never done that before. You've got to stop that. And some people are going to be concerned and rightly so, and we need to make sure what we're doing works with the Word of God, follows the Word of God, not just one part. We're famous for that. You know, people are great for that. Oh, I got this one verse of Scripture. It's like two, two lines or maybe even three or four words, and that's what I want to do. That's, that gives me all the permission I need, even though there's a whole paragraph over here who tells us, no, that's not right. Because we want to do what we want to do. And that's not true. That's not right. We can't do that. We've got to follow what the Bible says. We've got to follow what Scripture says, not what we want it to say. So, as we gather together as the church, that's everyone here who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God has called you. He has called you to tell people your story, to preach. That's all it is. That's all it is. What is your story? What has God done for you? And he's telling us, you're going to have, when you do that, you're going to have opposition. Be careful of that opposition. It may just be to stop you from what you're doing. Check to make sure what you're doing follows with the word of God. See, Jesus didn't have to worry about that. He is God. We do. So let's follow the Word of God. And not just one section, but all of the Word of God. And then let's go forth in power. The power that comes through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father and gracious God, Lord, we come before you here today, Lord, and we thank you so much that your Holy Spirit comes and dwells among us, Lord, and is inside us and dwells within us. And Father, we thank you that you have not just sent your church out powerless, but with power. You have called each one of us who come to know you as your brother and sister and mother. We are that to you, Father, Lord. Father, help us to be weird in our society. Help us to be strange. Help us, help us to make such a difference that people wonder what is going on. 
Help us to have that courage, Father, because right now we need it. It is scary out there. And we need the courage that comes from knowing you. Father, I ask a blessing upon each person here, Father, that you would just continue to bless them and keep them close to you, Father. That, Lord, that you would just continue, Lord, to rain your blessings upon us and strengthen us, Lord, and embolden us to preach your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen.